When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What is going on everyone? My name is Andy. Welcome back to another FPL video. In this one, I'm going to go through some of my final thoughts ahead of the game week one deadline. This is another series that I'm going to run throughout this season where I give you my thoughts and opinions on the latest news and information, as well as answering some of your questions. So if you do enjoy the series, make sure to give it a like, hit that subscribe button if you haven't done so already. And by the time this video goes live, there's going to be about eight hours until you have to get your squad locked in. Still plenty of time to sign up for fantasy football hub they have up to 50% off at the moment and if you sign up and don't win your mini league you can get your money back terms and conditions apply all the links you need as ever in the description below and if you just want to get a sense check of how your team is looking ahead of the deadline you can get it rated for free again all the links you need are in the description below otherwise let's jump into it so first up is just a quick reminder that Matt Turner has been transferred from Arsenal to Nottingham Forest and FPL have now moved him in the game as well so you can pick him up for 4 million he's easily the best option to go on the bench a lot of us did have Ariola, and he may well be the first choice goalkeeper for West Ham but I think most people at this point would assume it's going to be Fabianski so unless we find out from David Moyes in his press conference you might as well just go for Turner whether or not you play him it doesn't really matter right he's only four million and if something happens to your other goalkeeper he can come in and we're going to talk about rotation a little bit later there was some talk that Forrest still wanted to sign Dean Henderson but just before I've started recording this because I'm recording it on Thursday Thursday evening there's rumors going around that Tom Heaton has picked up an injury and Man United might actually keep Dean Henderson as the number two Nottingham Forest may well go out and get a different goalkeeper but there's maybe less likelihood that they would come in to usurp uh, Turner in terms of the pecking order so things are looking good for him in our squads or in my squad at least I'm definitely going to have him on the bench so the first question is about Ben Chilwell and Reese James should we start game week one with Chilwell and James to save transfers for other moves or just plan to get one in later instead now there's not really a right or wrong with this but I would lean more towards starting with both if you have the cash if you're absolutely sure that you're going to want both of them by game weeks two or three because it would just save you a transfer later and if something else pops up then you can just do that move instead rather than having to start taking hits to get all the players you want just to counter that if you think about the kind of teams and setups that most people have and they're not exactly identical to my team necessarily but they might be similar if you've got a back three of like Chilwell, Estepinian and Gabriel and you're playing Chilwell in game week one then all three of those players can be played in the first three games. Which Chilwell's got Liverpool at home, West Ham away, Luton at home. Uh, for Estepinian, it's Luton at home, Wolves away, West Ham at home. And then for Gabriel, it's Forest at home, Palace away, and Fulham at home. So unless there's an injury, you're probably not making a transfer on any three of those players. And I look at my front seven attackers... Probably not going to need transfers on them either unless there's an injury or unless there's a minutes risk or something like that. So there's every chance I'm going to get to game week three anyway and have a spare transfer to get to someone like Reese James. So that's why I'm saying there's not a right or a wrong. But ultimately, if you think you're going to want both anyway, I'd probably just save the transfer if you've got the money and put them in your squad right now. 
Okay, so what's the best goalkeeper rotation? Is it Pickford and Turner? And I will talk about how Turner pairs with other goalkeepers in a second. Just a couple of things first of all. The transfer window is still open after the game week one deadline. So even if Nottingham Forest don't sign Dean Henderson, they could sign someone else. So don't pin all your hopes on this rotation with Turner. Hopefully he'll remain the number one, but it's not necessarily guaranteed. And also remember that he plays for Nottingham Forest. You probably don't want to play a Nottingham Forest goalkeeper all that often because they're just not a very good defence, and I'm not expecting them to get much better this season. With all that being said, I did put together this Google sheet, which isn't very nice to look at, but hopefully it does the job, to see how different goalkeepers rotate in the first 12 weeks. Now, I've stuck to the main 4.5 million goalkeepers, so Steele at Brighton, Johnston at Palace, uh, Pickford at Everton, and Flecken at Brentford. For someone like Anana. You will probably just play him most weeks because he's a Man United goalkeeper. Possibly not in game week two because Turner has Sheffield United at home and Anana's got Spurs away. But outside of that, you're probably mostly going to play Anana anyway. So what I've done, I'm not going to read through every single um, fixture, but I've put down how often you would play each goalkeeper. So if you, if you combine Turner and Steele... You play Steele six times in the first 12 game weeks, and obviously you play Turner six as well. That doesn't sound great to me. Brighton's opening six fixtures are pretty good. You would play Turner against Sheffield United at home in game week two, and also in uh, Burnley at home in game week five. But when you get to game week seven, eight, and nine, I think Brighton have got something like Villa away, Liverpool at home, and then Man City away. It's quite a, a tough run. So then you've got to play Turner for three weeks in a row. Or you just stick with Steele for bad fixtures. So you could say that Steele's still a great option because the Brighton defence is probably the best of these four. But fixture-wise, it doesn't quite line up. With Palace and Johnston, you'd play Johnston seven times, Turner five. You'd have nine or ten home fixtures depending on which keeper you pick in certain weeks. So that looks pretty good. It's just a few away games early on. So it's Sheffield United away to start, then it's Sheffield United at home, then Brentford away, then you get a little run of Wolves at home, Burnley at home, Fulham at home, Brentford at home, Forest at home, Luton at home. That looks quite nice with Johnston. Everton and Pickford is the one that most people have looked at. The good thing is you play Pickford eight times, although the Everton defence isn't very good either. But to start off, you get Fulham at home, Sheffield United at home, then Wolves at home, Sheffield United away, Burnley at home. Brentford away, which is probably one of the toughest fixtures in the first eight game weeks. Then Luton at home, Bournemouth at home, Luton at home again. West Ham away, Villa at home, Palace away. So it gets a little bit trickier later on. That's one of the reasons why I quite like the Pickford pairing. Because the easier fixtures are towards the start. And there is every chance that you might wildcard shortly after that. I don't quite know when I'm going to wildcard yet. I'm going to answer a question on that later. But I like the fact that a lot of the good fixtures are early on. And there's a lot of home ones in the first eight weeks. With Flecken, you get a load of home fixtures early on as well. So it's actually Spurs at home, which is obviously quite tough, but at least it's a home game for Brentford. Sheffield United at home, Palace at home, Bournemouth at home, Burnley at home, Everton at home, Forest away. Then it's Palace away, and then the fixtures get a little bit tougher after that. With Flecken and Pickford, you're playing your main goalkeeper eight times, so you're not relying on Turner quite so much. And I keep coming back now... To the fact that early on, I was I was all over Fleck and I had him in a lot of my drafts and he slowly just come out. And I'm wondering whether I should go back to him because I think out of Palace, Everton and Brentford, I'd rather back that Brentford defence. And I know people keep saying that Flecken's had a poor pre-season, but I said this in the members stream last night. Who's actually watched Brentford and Flecken play? I think people have said that he's made a couple of howlers and we're all just assuming that he's now awful. And I just don't think that's necessarily going to be the case. And I, I think the Brentford defence in general 
is pretty good. I did have a look on Fantasy Football Hub. So as part of their memberships, you get the points projections. For the first eight game weeks, if you look at 5 million goalkeepers or below, Martinez is top for Villa, interestingly. Then it's Flecken. He's the highest rated for the first eight game weeks out of the 4.5s. Then it's Steele. Johnston, then it's Ramsdale, then Johnston, then Kepper, then Pickford. So Pickford's below Steele and Flecken. But I will note, the points are all very similar. Like Pickford's projected to get 30.1. Flecken is projected to get 31.3. It's all very close. So if you've got a gut feeling either way, just pick the goalkeeper that you prefer. Right now, I'm probably on Pickford because of the fixtures. But I feel like I should go back to why I was looking at Flecken in the first place. And obviously, if you want to get your own points projections and use all the other tools, links in the description below to get signed up with 50% off. So if Kane goes, does it make Son, Richarlison or Madison a good option for game week one? Now, I will say in order to get this video out for Friday morning, I am recording it on Thursday evening. It's currently quarter past eight. I don't know whether Kane is staying or going. It seems to be going back and forth. So I'll try and answer this question from both points of view, starting off with if he leaves where does it leave these three other players? Now, with Son, I think it probably makes him a better option overall because somebody has to get penalties if Kane leaves. And my money would be on Son, but it's not a guarantee because both Richarlison and Madison have taken penalties before for their former clubs. And even if we had it confirmed that Kane is gone before the deadline and Son is on penalties, I don't necessarily think I would put him in ahead of like a Saka, maybe a Martinelli, but that's a million difference. Uh, and probably not ahead of Rashford either because of the fixtures that Man United have to open up. And one overall point with Spurs, I know why people want them, but I think a lot of it is from game week three onwards. So game week three is Bournemouth away, game week four is Burnley away, and game week five is Sheffield United home. They look really good, but I almost feel like we're buying them now for those fixtures. And obviously you have to plan long term. You haven't got unlimited transfers every single week. But with Brentford away and Man United at home, game weeks one and two... I feel like I can just wait. They're not awful fixtures. If those two were in the middle of a really good set of fixtures, it wouldn't put you off. But I don't think they're so essential because of those opening two games that they have. And also on Son, there's still concerns over his positioning. If you ask any Spurs fans that have watched them during preseason, they will say he's quite wide. He's not necessarily getting into those central areas to score goals. So even with penalties... I'd probably still want to wait and see how he does early on. And obviously, if Kane stays, he won't have penalties, and he's still got that positioning problem. With Richarlison, he would automatically become a much better option because he surely would get better minutes. I think if Kane goes, until they potentially buy someone, Richarlison would get the chance to be their number nine. And he has done that at Everton. I spoke about him uh, on another video recently. His goals and assist records at Everton was pretty good, and that was in a much worse team. So I think for 7 million, he would become a nice option. But obviously, you've got to wonder how Spurs will spend the Kane money. They're not going to go out and spend all 100 million on one player. But they may well bring in another striker. Could be backup. It could be to play ahead of Richarlison. It might be to share minutes. We don't know yet. But obviously, that's a risk. So again, I question whether it's worth going for Richarlison straight away. And also, with the opening couple of fixtures, is he better than a Matoma or an Eze or an Imbermo for less money? couple of them definitely on penalties as well Brighton's opening fixtures are better than Spurs I'd say probably not so even if tomorrow I find out Kane's going before the deadline I don't think I'm going to put Richarlison although I reserve the right with everything to change my mind by half six at UK time tomorrow with Madison he would obviously become better if he's on penalties as well I don't think 
Madison changes that much, whether Kane stays or goes. Obviously, if you got someone that's a you know the primary creator in that team, you'd rather have him creating chances for Kane than pretty much anyone else in the world, apart from Haaland, etc. There's a few exceptions, but mostly Kane. But even without him, he's still going to create those chances. He's still going to get goal-scoring opportunities. We know his numbers are good from Leicester. And even if Kane goes, I would still say the quality around him is much better than he's necessarily had. Not necessarily every season. Obviously, Jamie Vardy was great at one point, not necessarily right now. But I still think he would be just as good an option even if Kane goes. And even if it is, even if there is a drop-off, I don't think it's enough to then say he's not a good FPL option. I get why people would maybe take him out of their teams for game week one. But I think longer term, he's still decent. Mostly because of the minutes he's going to get, the chances he creates and the shots he has versus like a Foden or a Greedish or someone like that where maybe you're not quite so sure about the minutes. So I think if Kane stays, better for Madison, much worse for Richarlison, probably no real change for Son. If he goes, Richarlison has the biggest increase, Madison maybe a tiny drop-off, and Son only becomes decent, at least before we see him play uh, again this season if he gets penalties. So is Nicholas Jackson or Ollie Watkins a better option in isolation, regardless of what the extra 1 million can do? Now, I will say straight away, you should always weigh up what that money can do. So to give you an example to prove my point, if it was Nicholas Jackson and a 5 million defender that you had to play every week like Gabriel, or Watkins and a 4 million defender you've got to play every week, I would probably lean more towards Nicholas Jackson. So do think about what the extra money can do for you. But I appreciate right now with the way people have got their squad set up, that one million is probably either going to go on the bench or just in the bank. But even so, in isolation, I do prefer Ollie Watkins, mostly because you know exactly what you're going to get from him. We saw how attacking Aston Villa were under Unai Emery last year. So even though they've got some tough fixtures in the first six, it probably wouldn't put me off enough not to go with him. Possibly still got penalties. He's one of the first names on the team sheet. Where there are question marks over Nicholas Jackson. How will he adapt to the Premier League? One thing to say as well, which I mentioned on other questions. The transfer window is still open. Chelsea might go out and sign more attackers that could take minutes off Jackson. Obviously, Nkunku's out. So they're probably going to go and replace him. That player may also be able to play up front. So it's possible that something might happen after game week one. We just don't know how Chelsea are going to be in general. Now, for what it's worth, I actually quite like the Nicholas Jackson pick. And he's starting to come into my thoughts a little bit more. One reason is because of that million. It lets me upgrade my bench. And that is part of the kind of stuff that I'm weighing up. But if it's just these two versus each other, not worrying about the money, I think you take the safer pick in Watkins. Interestingly, I did check the points projections again for forwards between 7 and 8 million. Watkins comes out on top on Fantasy Football Hub for the first eight weeks with 39.9 points. But Jackson is just behind, 38.7. Now, one of the reasons for that is his minutes. Obviously, if they go down, his points go down as well. But it is quite close. And then you do have an extra million to maybe save for a rainy day or spend in your opening squad. If you put it to the first four game weeks, which I haven't actually checked, Jackson actually comes out slightly ahead, probably because of the Luton uh, game in game week three, and then whoever they've got in game week four, which I can't remember, but it's another easy fixture, Forrest at home. So things in general do look pretty good for Jackson. Just on Watkins, obviously Newcastle away open day is not great, but Chelsea do have Liverpool at home. That's not easy either. Then they've got Liverpool at home game week four and Chelsea away game week six. And even Brighton at home game week seven is not easy. So that's the problem there. They're a good attacking team. Watkins is nailed, but the fixtures aren't quite as good for Chelsea. But I still think with everything considered, I would probably stick to Watkins. But if you want to take that punt on Jackson, 
I don't see a huge amount of reason not to. The only worry is, will Chelsea sign more forwards? That's the only thing I'd have in mind. So is having a £4 million defender important? They might drop 0.1 million in the first few game weeks. Now, if by important we mean essential, definitely not. But they're very useful because they allow us to spend more money elsewhere. £4 million defenders and £4 million goalkeepers are the cheapest players in the game. So for that reason, it's great because you can spend more money on your eleven. I do think for 0.5 million more, you tend to get a defender from what should be a better defensive team. And while that might not look important straight away, down the line, if you have to rely on them or you get an injury or something like that, everything I've spoken about before, it's probably better to have like a Newcastle defender or a Chelsea one rather than a Sheffield United or a Luton. But in terms of being able to spend the most money on your 11, four million pound defenders are great. I will have almost certainly one, possibly even two. In terms of the drop in value i think we need to be really careful when building our game week one squads to not get too worried about who might drop in price you might select 15 players and if you get really unlucky and they all do badly you're going to drop money somewhere so it's not something we can completely protect ourselves from i think it's m more of a thing to worry about with a 4.5 million forwards because as it stands most of them are probably not going to get minutes so if you pick one that's high owned then they start getting sold you could see them drop in value. With £4 million defenders, although they're not going to get many clean sheets because most of them play for Burnley, Luton and Sheffield United, you'd expect them to get fewer clean sheets than most other teams. Because they're playing and getting regular minutes and some of them could be attacking as well, they won't get sold as much. And obviously if you do sell them, you need money to upgrade them anyway. So personally, if you're happy with your 11 and you need some money by dropping to a £4 million defender... I would definitely do that and be happy with my first 11 rather than worry about 0.1 or 0.2 million that you might lose over the first few game weeks. It's just not worth worrying about. So what are my thoughts on going cheaper with our defense because of the extended length of games leading to less clean sheets? So we saw this in the Community Shield between Man City and Arsenal. The game went on to like the 100th minute and we could definitely see that in Premier League games this season. My opinion is this shouldn't really change the way we play FPL. The players that were the best defenders before the announcement are still the best defenders. And similarly with the attackers, it's only going to be a few extra minutes each game. And I think one thing to note, because it kind of gets forgotten, is it's not like games are now 100 minutes and before they were always 90 minutes. Most games went on till at least the 93rd minute, maybe 94th, 95th. So you're going to get an extra two to five minutes per game. And that might be enough to lose a few more clean sheets than last year but I don't think it's enough to completely change the way you play FPL so if I was picking Gabriel before I wouldn't suddenly think do you know what there's going to be less clean sheets I'm going to drop down to a 4.5 million defender that's much worse just on the odd chance he loses a clean sheet in the last couple of minutes of the game and don't get me wrong it's going to happen this season it's going to be very frustrating but if he was the best defender before for 5 million then it's still the case now and I don't think it's worth dropping that down to a 4.5 just to have that extra money to spend on the attack in some situations it might be but I still feel like you'd make that same decision before this announcement anyway and just while we're on this because someone asked the question which I didn't include in the video you know questions around players like Trossard where well, they might not start but now games are longer that makes them better and it does but it doesn't make them better than players that are going to play regularly and get to 90 minutes often anyway so take Bruno Fernandes Players like, I don't know, Saka Odegaard, of course they can be substituted, but they're still more likely than players like Trossard to play more minutes overall. And that's really all that matters. So I, I'm open to changing my mind over the first few weeks, 
but I have not made a single change in my picks based on this announcement. It's going to be two to five minutes maximum. And yes, there's going to be more goals. Yes, there's going to be less clean sheets, but I don't think it's going to be by any significant amount. So one of the biggest questions of pre-season, do you go with Mo Salah or without him? And I suspect for a lot of you, this is going to go right down to the deadline. Here's a couple of questions that I would ask you. Are you going to captain him against Bournemouth at home rather than going for Haaland against Newcastle at home? If the answer is no, I would question whether you need to spend that much money on Salah. If the answer is yes, happy day. Start thinking about whether or not you can put a squad together that you're happy with that also includes him. Now let me ask you another question. If Haaland gets a brace against Burnley in game week one and Salah blanks against Chelsea, will you still captain Salah in game week two? If the answer is yes, happy days, you're all in. Probably try and put him in your squad. If the answer is no, then again, I come back to that point. Is it worth spending that much money? Now, in the past, especially last season when people had like three premium attackers, you could fit them in because we had a lot of cheap enablers. And I've said this before, Martinelli and Rashford were... No, sorry, Martinelli was 6 million. Odegaard and Rashford were 6.5. They were in a lot of people's teams, really good quality FPL players. And you could also get Salah and Kane and Haaland or just two of those three. This year, those same players that we want have gone up like 2 or 2.5 million and it's now harder to have two premiums. That's the issue here. And for me, I look at the opening six fixtures. The only game where I don't want to captain Haaland is probably game week two. So if I can get through that without Salah, I feel like it's better to spread the money around. If you're asking me whether I'm going to go with Salah or not, because I know everybody is expecting me to put him in at the last minute, and that might happen. Again, I reserve the right to absolutely change my mind. But anytime someone asks me if I'm close to doing it, I'm not really. And sometimes you get asked a question and you know deep down it's going to happen. And I don't feel like that with Salah because I know I'm going to be too afraid to captain him against Bournemouth unless Haaland gets injured or something like that. And if he does and he's out for a while, I'll take a minus four and I'll get Salah in. I guess get a different forward instead. So it's not that I've made peace with it and I'm happy with it. and I'm definitely not going to do it. But whenever someone asks me how close I am, I don't feel like I'm close at all. Because I like having Martinelli and Saka and Rashford and Fernandez in my midfield, a decent defence, a good forward line as well. And as long as he's fit, I'm going to captain Haaland for the first six weeks. I can probably see that happening right now. So that's what I would ask yourself. If you're willing to captain him against Bournemouth, and by the way, I think on paper Salah is the better captain. I just don't know if that one week is enough to change my entire squad setup. Like I could go, I've spoken about this before, from Watkins, Fernandez, Martinelli to Jao Pedro, Salah, and Matoma, But is it worth those downgrades? Some people might say that's not a downgrade. Actually, you've got three better players. And if Jao Pedro absolutely smashes it early on and go, starts going up in price, gets regular minutes, the Salah, Matoma, Jao Pedro combination might be a lot better. But I feel better, so I've just used that word quite a lot, having the team that I've thought about quite a lot over preseason. And really, Salah hasn't made it into many of my kind of main team drafts. Earlier on, I had Trent. He's kind of gone out the window. I really don't think I'm going to have him. Salah might make it. But as it stands, it's now 8.52pm on Thursday evening. I don't think I'm going to go for him. I don't like it. So if you had to go for one or the other, would you go for Foden or Alvarez? And we might get a team leak on Friday that tells us whether or not they're playing. But I'm going to answer this question as if we haven't got a team leak whatsoever. I think in terms of 
being able to jump off them, there's more midfield options than Alvarez. So for that reason, I prefer Foden. Plus, obviously, as a midfielder, you've got clean sheet points, extra point for a goal. And Man City are kind of lined up with the fixtures they've got to get plenty of clean sheets. But in terms of who I think is going to get the most minutes right now, it's probably Alvarez. Like, in the Community Shield, I know that was a tougher game than Man City have in the first six game weeks. It was Alvarez that was given the nod. And even if De Bruyne is fit to start, he still needs someone alongside him. And a lot of times last season, that was Alvarez as well. Now, if they do end up signing another midfielder, we could see them line up uh, alongside De Bruyne. And it could be Bernardo Silva as well. There's plenty of options Pep can play, which is why I'm probably going to go with neither of them. But a lot of the time, we've seen Alvarez play in that eight position. And whatever Pep says about the multiple positions Foden can play in, including central, he doesn't seem to do it that often. It did happen towards the end of last season when there was a lot of rotation. But in general, we haven't seen him play a lot there for Man City. And so if I have to answer this without a team lead, I would probably say Alvarez. I just look at the forwards, and unless Xiao Pedro is an option or you've got money to go up to Jackson or Watkins, there's not too many other players to go for. There's a lot when it comes to Foden. In general, even if I find out on Friday both of these players are playing, unless there's injuries to other attackers, which might mean they get a long run in the team... I probably still won't go for them. And it comes back to that point I've mentioned a lot, that other players aren't that much more expensive that are more nailed on. So for an extra 0.5 or, or even a million, I can go from Foden to an Arsenal attacker. And because of no Salah or Trent, there is lots of money to go around. It's not like I'm scraping to try and get as much funds as I can. Look, if Saka was 10 million, Foden 7.5, that's a big difference. But as it stands, I just probably won't go for either. But if I had to pick one right now, It'd probably be Alvarez, but I would not be surprised if Foden starts on Friday after missing the Community Shield. He'll probably go on a run of games, and I regret not starting with him. So do I have any plans about when I might wildcard, or will I just wait and see? Now, generally, my strategy is to wait and see, and I feel like that makes me a bit more open-minded about when the best time to use it would be. So if something comes up after five, six, seven, eight game weeks, whatever it is, I'm open to using it. Sometimes people make a plan, and they stick to that rigidly, when it's better to change it's obviously different to last season because of the world cup last year we got that extra wild card right in the middle so you knew you were probably going to use the wild card early that's not necessarily the case this year so again i want to be open-minded that i might need it by game week eight or i might be better off saving it until game week 19 and i think the overarching point for me is whether or not you're going to use it in eight nine or 19 or whenever it is you're probably not going to change your team for game week one you're only really looking four six maybe eight game weeks ahead and at that point you can then decide whether or not you're going to wildcard like if i said right now i'm going to wildcard in game week nine i probably still have exactly the same team as if i'm trying to save it until game week 19 i guess goalkeeper maybe because you don't want to huge uh, use a huge amount of transfers on that if you knew you're going to wildcard by like eight nine ten you'd possibly choose a different goalkeeper but for most other positions I don't think that's the case. The one thing on my mind is, of course, Liverpool players. Because the way I'm setting my team up, I don't have a great way to get someone like Salah in. Not in kind of two moves. It would take like three or four. And I know from game week nine, they got Everton at home, Forest at home, Luton away, Brentford at home. Then it's Man City away, which isn't easy. But straight after that, Fulham at home, Sheffield United away, Crystal Palace away. This is a run from game weeks nine to 16, where I'm probably going to want Liverpool players and the easiest way to do it might be to wildcard. Even if I'm not captaining them, and I'm still on Haaland captain, the fixtures are, I would say, a lot better 
than they are for the first eight game weeks. And Liverpool are obviously a great attack. They can absolutely score plenty of goals. But in the first eight game weeks, they've got to play Chelsea away, Newcastle away, Spurs away, and Brighton away. So it's definitely a harder fixture run than between 9 and 16. So I guess I've got a slight possible inkling that I might go in game week 9 to get Liverpool players. But ultimately, I'm just going to wait and see and just try and use it when is best and see what crops up in a few weeks' time. So another Man City question. Should we get Kevin De Bruyne for game week one? Otherwise, it's likely to take a couple of transfers to bring him in. This is another one, I guess, like Chilwell and James, where if you're absolutely sure you want him, then you could start with him in game week one. But remember that fitness is a little bit of a concern because the only minutes he's had during preseason were in the Community Shield, and that was off the bench. So it's very likely against Burnley, he's benched again, he gets brought on in the second half, builds up those minutes to eventually get a start. I think for 10.5 million, that's probably not worth it. He's a massive differential. If you saw my video yesterday on the rating teams when I went through the ownership on Twitter, he was less than 1% owned. But he also means you've got to make a few sacrifices elsewhere that most people aren't doing. Like obviously, if you've got a salad draft, then dropping down to De Bruyne saves you 2 million. But he's not someone you're ever going to captain. If Man City have got a good fixture, you're always going to go for Haaland. And for 1.5 million less, you can start getting players like Rashford, Fernandez, Saka, Odegaard, who I would argue for the money saved are much better going for so that you can spend that money elsewhere. So last season, I was kind of really against the Borina for 12 million. I just didn't think he was value for money whatsoever. I think this year at 10.5, I might talk myself into it at some point. But the... The fitness is a massive concern for the start of the season. You don't want him to miss like one or two games, especially not at that price, while everyone else has got kind of fit and uh, fit players that are nailed to start. And I don't know if you would want him in a couple of weeks anyway. And if you do, you can just save those transfers and bring him in. I don't think it's a huge issue. So Kevin De Bruyne, for me, is not somebody to be starting with in game week one, unless you get a leak on Friday that he's starting, I guess. So do I think John Stones becomes an issue with Vardial now an option? And I guess issue probably isn't the right word, but overall, Man City have added to the centre-backs that can play. So there is now more chance of players being rested because Pep Guardiola has more players to choose from. I have seen some discussion that if Pep wanted to rest John Stones, Vardiol is a player that could play that inverted role because he's so good on the ball. How quickly into his reign at Man City Pep would deploy him there, we'll have to wait and see. But I guess it is a possibility. So could we see like a Ake... Vardial, Diaz, Akanji back four at some point? Absolutely. Why not? That could definitely work. I think John Stones will probably start game week one. Like Ruben Diaz, I think they'll both start the first week. And they'll probably start game weeks two, three, four as well. I guess the question is, how long after that do they start becoming an issue? And I think with Man City, this is part of the problem. You've got to ask the question, therefore you have doubts. No one's asking me whether I think Fernandez is an issue or Saka is an issue, or Gabriel, or Estrepinian, but you're asking me about Man City because we are just not sure. And basically, I've decided I'm probably going to go without them in game week one, which might be a worry because their ownership's not that low, and the first six fixtures do spell a lot of clean sheets. But if I'm just having one 5.5 million defender, and it's been between a Chelsea and a Man City one, like Ben Chilwell versus John Stones, okay, Liverpool at home in game week one isn't great, but the fixtures after that are proper decent. And if they can land someone like Caicedo or Lavia, that makes their defence better overall as well. We know that Chilwell is going to be attacking. So I just feel like if I can get through game week one and not be punished too massively by the Man City defenders, I think from game week two onwards, 
if I've only got the choice between one or the other, I'd rather have an attacking Chelsea player that's going to be pretty much nailed on. I know some people are worried about Kukurea, but I just don't think he's anywhere near as good as Chilwell. They've got no Europe, so he can just play every week. I don't see a huge issue there, maybe later on in the season. Obviously, for some of you, you're going for one Chelsea, one Man City, in which case, if you're on Stones, you'd probably just stick with him. I, I just think it wouldn't be any surprise if he missed one game in the first four to five weeks. If he missed two, would you be completely shocked? I probably wouldn't. And if that's the answer, I just wonder whether it's worth going for him. What I will say is, I know loads of top FPL managers that are going with Man City defenders no matter what. Some are going for Diaz, some are going for Stones. If I had to guess whether Diaz has got slightly better minutes than John Stones in the first six weeks, I'd say probably yes, even if his attacking threat's a little bit less. But I still don't know if it's just worth all this aggro and all these headaches. Because as soon as they miss one game, you know what happens. Well, next game they'll probably play, so I'll keep them. And then if they miss another game, you go through the same thing over and over. So I'm not against Man City defenders. I don't think John Stone suddenly becomes a massive issue. But overall, they have got a lot of players that can play in those back four positions. So after game week three, what do we do with Jao Pedro? And the obvious answer is you look to see what's happened in the first three matches and then assess whether or not to keep him for Newcastle at home. And one thing I'll say about the Brighton fixtures, some people are concerned about playing Estepinian for Newcastle at home, Man United away. I think for a 5.5 million attacker for Brighton, it's not quite so bad because they are such a good attacking team. So it wouldn't necessarily put me off. But ultimately, you're looking at those three games. What position has he played? Has he looked attacking? Has he started all three? What kind of minutes has he got? Up until that point, have Brighton signed another attacker? There was rumours like a week or so ago they might sign Kudus. If that happens, that's another player that could possibly play in his role. Is Nciso subbing on for him all the time around the 60th minute? All these things you're going to have to look at. Overall, I know why people are asking questions like this. Like, what's the get-out plan? Ultimately, I don't think there's going to be many players around that price in the forward line that you're going to be able to go for. I wouldn't necessarily bank money, though. Because I think there's loads of other ways you can get money later on if you needed to. Like, again, if you look at my team right now, I know I haven't got Jao Pedro. And if I went from Watkins to Jao Pedro, I'd have a lot of money to spend. But let's say I do go Watkins to Jao Pedro and spend that two and a half on Trent or something like that. If I get to game week four and Jao Pedro's only started two games and in both of those games he's come off at like the 60th minute, I might want to replace him. I've got Martinelli or Fernandez, or if I had to, Saka Rashford to downgrade. Now, right now, you might be thinking, well, I don't want to do that. But if the choice is between Martinelli and a Jao Pedro that's not playing enough, or a 6.5 million midfielder who's maybe started great, and Nicholas Jackson, you'd probably go for the latter, right? It's not that Martinelli becomes a bad option. It's just the combination of those two players is better. So if you're kind of, if you're someone that wants to go with Jao Pedro, Yes, you could do with a rough plan of what you're going to or how you're going to upgrade him later on. But I don't think it's the be all and end all. There's always other players that you can sell as well. And also, you could look at it from a positive point of view. There's every chance he started all three games, 75 plus minutes, maybe taken a penalty, got a few attacking returns with the great fixtures, and you just want to keep him. And also, he's gone up in price. Jao Pedro very popular right now. I don't have him, but I completely get the appeal. If you've enjoyed that video and found it useful, make sure to give it a like and hit that subscribe button. That is it now for pre-season content in terms of videos and podcasts. Hopefully you've enjoyed them. I do have one more 
live stream later, which is the deadline stream. I do that every single game week. I think the deadline is 6.30 UK time, so I'll probably start around half four. So join me on YouTube for that. Otherwise, I'll just say thank you. Make sure to check out Fantasy Football Hub. 50% off if you win your mini league. And, uh, sorry, if you don't win your mini league, you can get your money back. Terms and conditions apply. All the links you need are in the description below. I will catch you later on for the deadline stream. Sports Social Podcast Network.